Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Last week, the House of Representatives voted to hold former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon in contempt for defying a subpoena to testify in the January 6th attack investigation. Now DOJ will need to decide whether to put Bannon's case in front of a criminal grand jury. In other news, the Supreme Court once again left in place Texas's restrictive abortion law, but the court made the rare move of scheduling emergency oral argument for next week. And jury selection has begun in the trial of three men who stand charged with killing Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man, in 2020. Preet Bharara and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. Moving from the insurrection to abortion law, people have been following, I trust, the continuing saga over this law in Texas, SB 8. And there are, you know, it gets complicated, and hopefully we've broken it down in a somewhat simplified way. But the most recent thing that's happened that's very significant is the Supreme Court has now granted cert, meaning they agree to hear the case. And they've done so in a circumstance in which there's no final judgment in the court below. How common is it for cert, what lawyers call cert, certiorari, to be granted before judgment? It's really rare. It's only happened a handful of times. It mostly happens when the Justice Department asks for it. And of course, you can understand why. It's a lot more difficult for the court. Sometimes they do it in companion cases. And at the risk of being a little bit legally nerdy here, I'll just use this example. When, I guess right before we became U.S. attorneys, federal sentencing guidelines ran into a little bit of constitutional trouble. And the Supreme Court, when it got to that ruling, actually pulled a case up from the lower courts at DOJ's request so that they could squarely consider two cases that raised the issue of of whether federal judges could sentence on the basis of facts that they found existed as opposed to facts that juries found existed when they delivered a verdict. So it's typically in cases like that that pose weighty, pressing questions where you're trying to get all of the factual scenarios in front of you that you need to resolve an issue. A lot of people predicted that there would be certiorari before the judgment here. I was surprised, to be honest. What's also interesting is, you know, how they dealt with the status quo, what they felt the status quo should be. Yeah. So it's one thing to say we're going to grant cert and we're going to hear the case. And I think argument is set for November 1st, which is not far away. It's very soon. And briefing has to be concluded before then. But while agreeing to hear the case, they they didn't enjoin SB 8. SB 8, the law that chills abortion in Texas, remains valid law. And Justice Sotomayor, and we should, we should talk about her dissent in part, takes great issue with the fact that abortion has been chilled and there's a run on nearby states for people who are seeking abortion services as an urgent matter. I'm in agreement with her that while you're thinking about this, you should not leave in place a law that you and I have discussed many times, clearly violates the current precedents of the United States Supreme Court, including Roe v. Wade. 
she writes with such a clear bell-like voice um, increasingly in dissent on these issues. You know, the standard for granting certiorari before judgment is whether the case is of such imperative public importance as to justify deviation from normal appellate practice. In other words, it only really makes sense to, to grant certiorari in this case if, if your plan as the Supreme Court is to smack Texas for writing such a ridiculous statute that so clearly violates rights. And so the fact that the court grants it, but at the same time refuses to enjoin SB8, continues to allow Texas to deprive women of their constitutional rights. It's a weird sort of mixed messaging from the court, or maybe it's not weird. Maybe it just obviously leads to the result that we're headed into. I'm going to ask you your prediction again, but it's not looking good for people who are in support of abortion rights. Look, Justice Sotomayor, as you say, writes very clearly about this, and she makes it very immediate and concrete. She writes, quote, there are women in Texas who became pregnant on or around the day that SBA took effect. As I write these words, some of those women do not know they are pregnant. When they find out, should they wish to exercise their constitutional right to seek abortion care, they will be unable to do so anywhere in their home state, end quote. That brings home how stark a reality this is. It's not just sort of a legal abstract issue that the court can decide at its leisure, but it has an immediate effect today, tomorrow, the next day, until this thing is resolved. And we know what the, te- the state of Texas will say in response to that because they've already said it in their briefs. They've essentially said the federal government and abortion providers aren't entitled to demand that Texas write its laws to permit them to be challenged. In other words, Texas says, you know, we don't care. We don't care about these women, these people, their constitutional rights. If we can craftily write a statute using vigilante justice to avoid review— It is open season. I expect Justice Sotomayor is going to make a mockery of them in oral argument. I mean, I I really hope she'll unleash. Somebody needs to. Because when, when you look at this case, it's really sort of crazy, right? The Supreme Court will not, at least not explicitly, consider the constitutionality of SB 8 in this case that they've agreed to hear on November 1st. I think they sort of implicitly have to reach it, although I'm also a minority view in that regard. But the issues that they're going to hear are whether or not DOJ has standing to sue the state of Texas and Texas officials directly. There's a quasi-sovereign immunity issue there. And then for the abortion providers, for that case, they're going to take up consideration of whether the vigilante justice scheme can pass muster. And it seems to me that this is really crazy because, you know, courts like to decide cases on the easiest, narrowest basis possible. And that easy, narrow basis here is that Roe versus Wade and its progeny create a right to pre-viability abortion. End of story. The court doesn't need to look at anything else. They can simply say, following Roe versus Wade, Texas law is unconstitutional. Game over. And the fact that they're unwilling to do that, I think, is really disturbing. You don't have to be very good at reading the tea leaves to see where this is headed. Yeah, look, the other point on a more concrete level that Justice Sotomayor makes, I think, is an important one, because one of the things that Texas folks say is, well, you can go elsewhere, you can leave Texas and have an abortion. And she says there's all this evidence that the act has had a stunning and crushing impact on clinics in surrounding states. She points out, quote, An Oklahoma provider, for example, 
reported a staggering 646% increase of Texan patients per day, occupying between 50% and 75% of capacity, end quote. So this is real stuff. It's happening right now. And that's the value of having a record in the court below. The first time the Supreme Court considered SB8, it was on the shadow docket with no record. This time, as these issues come up, we have this 100-page-plus opinion from the district judge in Texas, and he gave Justice Sotomayor the factual basis in the record because he meticulously went through the evidence and talked about the impact on out-of-state clinics and Texas women so that she could then issue this ruling. I mean, that in many ways, I think, speaks to the importance of going through the process, which can take a little bit of time, and building an appropriate record in the lower courts. Brunswick, Georgia, is a small city. The metro area has about 119,000 residents on the coast in Georgia. It's about halfway between Savannah, Georgia and Jacksonville, Florida. It's a small town. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. And to the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.